Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Welcome to a podcast from Joy's jazz show, Bent Notes. Tune in live each Sunday night at joy.org.au. My special guest on Bent Notes is improvising pianist who has been playing piano since he was eight years of age. Since that early time, he's released a number of albums in both group and solo mode. Back in 2016, Tim Stevens spent the year composing a new piece every day of the year, and they were not a throwaway collection. Many have found their way onto albums. There were some standards in the mix during Quarantunes, which was the COVID time, music which Tim had very rarely played since his time at the VCA, where it wasn't an optional thing. But once he left, from my understanding, he hadn't played many standards at all. The Quarantunes experience inspired Tim to record and release a brand new album of standards called The Ace of Hearts is High. It's my pleasure to bid a very warm Bent Notes welcome. Welcome back, Tim Stevens. Thank you very much for having me. Lovely to be here. Tim, it was only in March this year that we spoke about what was your latest album at the time, The Beauty of the Way and the Goodness of the Wayfarers. Mm-hmm. And now you're back in studio six months later with yet another album. I know, two solo albums in a year is a bit uh, unusual. Are you becoming addicted to the recording studio? I'm very fond of the recording studio. I have to be honest with you about that. I really do like the experience of recording these days. I used to fear it uh, immensely and I hated it. But once I had a few cracks at it, it became far more comfortable. And now I'm always quite excited to be in the studio. And, you know, I really like the company of engineers and I like the different pianos that I've played and the experience of putting new music on tape and then out in the world and stuff. I mean, this album is actually a CD, whereas the earlier one this year was only a digital release, so it's a little bit different. But, yeah, no, two albums in a year. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's, well, it's, it's been fun. Do you have a different sense of the recording studio when you're recording a solo work as opposed to a group work? Oh, definitely, absolutely, totally. I, as I say, the pianos are a big thing for me. I love the different pianos that I get to play. In the group, I am only a part of the thing, so the piano is not the complete focus. But in the case of this album... It is. I was very fortunate to play Nico Schäuble's Pfeiffer, which is an instrument I'm really very fond of. It's got a beautiful so sound. I think it does. I think, really think it does. And it's a very responsive instrument, lots and lots of colour there. You can play really, really quietly and then you can raise the roof and it's, it's a great axe. <laughs> what do you look for in a piano in a studio? When you're considering a recording, do you look for different things for solo or group works or do you just look no 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 i just want to i want the piano to be dependable and and to sound well and to have good color and i mean i'm fairly flexible when it comes to the instrument i don't have to have a steinway from hamburg every time or anything like that it's unreasonable to expect that anyway i've played a number of different pianos including some hamburg steinways but not in the studio <laughs> as it turns out um i am always just pleased to you know to get to know the piano and to find the sound i can make on it and then to have some fun do you spend a lot of time preparing before you go into the studio or do you use the studio time to finish your preparation? It depends on the project. I would have say I've prepared these standards probably since I was doing the quarantines. I was playing them and thinking about them. So I haven't this particular set I put together 
within a few weeks of going into the studio. But as Andrew Ford pointed out, most of them were done as quarantines when I was recording on my phone for lockdown sharing. Previous albums, I obviously practice the material up and want it to be dependable, but I never want to over-prepare because I don't want to feel like I played it really well that time. Will I be as good next time or any nonsense like that? Also, I've recorded some free music with my my trio and also on my own and there is no preparation for that at all. You just go in and you see what's there and you play what you can. And that's a completely different recording experience, but it's really exciting. And when the trio made Three Friends in Winter back in, I don't know, 2005 or six or something, that was just because we'd made an album of tunes that I was really pleased with and we'd found a group dynamic that we were happy with and we like each other as people, so we thought we'll do a free record. So we just spent two days recording free pieces and drew the album together out of whatever we'd made on those two days. I made a free album in Sydney in 2011, maybe, 2012, called uh, Life's Undertow, and that was completely free as well. So that was just a day in the studio with me and the piano, and I just played the things that I had in my head and cobbled the record out of that. So there's a lot of other material that was never been released from the trio and from me um, in the free land. They, those albums were just without preparation. Zach, I was talking to a short time ago, Zach Harron in mid-show up in Sydney, mm. he was commenting that when he goes on stage to perform, he just puts himself into a zone by essentially turning off the conscious and letting the unconscious take over and get yeah, things happening. I, I don't really think about that sort of stuff very much. I want to be free and I want to be present. I want to feel like I'm present. I wouldn't say I am unconscious when I'm playing. I'm listening and responding and trying to find the place with my colleagues or even with whatever I've just played. But yeah, being on stage or being in the studio, you know, it's, it is a, it's a very immediate thing and you, are, you just want it to work in the moment that you're in. Are there aspects of the recording process that you don't enjoy? I struggle to think of one, actually. I maybe... The time when they say time's up. Oh, yeah, that's the... <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. I've been lucky. I mean, you know, I only had a day to make this standards record. Um, um, but I just, I find working with Nico is really easy and really enjoyable. And I like the piano. So I found I had everything I needed at the end of the day. I mean, I could always have gone back and done some more if I wanted to. But I thought, you know, these pieces hung together quite well as a set. And I've covered some moods and all that sort of thing, you know. Is the recording engineer extremely important to the process? Yes, definitely, totally. Because they are making the thing sound as it's going to sound when it goes out into the world. And I mean, the piano, that, that is the sound of Nico's piano, but he's got, he, he puts the microphones in the right place and makes it speak so it's going to be present and affecting. And that is exceptionally important. I hardly ever edit, but when that happens, an engineer who can do it seamlessly is so precious because I can't do it. That's not a big aspect of recording for me. I only do it very, very frequently, but... If it has to happen, you want it to sound unnoticeable. Exactly. <laughs> and you can pull that off is really gold. <laughs> <laughs> in a blog you posted back in April this year, you reflected on a work of Martin Williams in saying that the great classical composers were not great until someone or perhaps a number of someone's had done their work of biography, analysis, praise and publication, bringing them to the notice of the general public. You have contributed some of this work yourself in your thesis about the Redunians Jazz Band and note that the Australian Jazz Museum does have a large collection. However, the museum is different to the large library of American jazz audio that's still in print and readily available. And, of course, the huge amount of classical music and commentary. 
how can this situation be remedied? Can oh, it be remedied? Look, I wish I knew the answer to that question. I wish I had a really good, solid answer to that question. And I think the Australian Jazz Museum is really valuable and doing terrific work for the collation of so much of what has been made here. But the problem is people don't visit, and there are very few people know it. People in my so-called modern world don't barely even know about it. So it's out there and it's being preserved, and you could find it if you knew where to look for it. But people don't. And whether they actually think it's important enough to bother with that is what the other thing that worries me because the music that I really love, particularly the local music that I really love, that I'm trying to pass on to my students, I'm frequently finding they've never heard of it, they don't know what I'm talking about. And I have to say, well, have a listen to this. And I put it on and I go, oh, good grief, what's that? I want to share it. I want them to know about it. But I just wish it was being constantly turned over and played and, and understood and talked about. And that's what doesn't really happen nearly enough. Now, when I did The Onions... I wanted to show an Australian jazz band that had had a lot of overseas experience and done all sorts of work and set out to sound like their heroes. They wanted to sound like Louis Armstrong, King Oliver. They wanted to sound like Big Spiderbeck. They did a recording of Duke Ellington's music. They had all these models, but of course they never sounded like them at all. They sounded just like themselves. And this is a beautiful, that's what I call the Australian circumstance because it's how music is accommodated here, how it comes into the realm of these musicians, how they grow to understand it and then how they reproduce it makes for something completely different from the original, which I, I love. I really love that. That's what I was trying to say with my, with my thesis. And there's many other bands you could do that work on in Australia if it felt like it. If someone did a thesis on the Frank Johnson band or if they did a, you know, a proper work about the Yarra Yarra Jazz Band or any of those traditional bands that were around, John Hawes Band, these bands were working in Melbourne really, really hard during the 60s and producing things that differed from each other so that they could take place in a scene. So you knew if you listened to The Onions because they had a certain style. You knew if you listened to The Yarras because they sounded different you knew if you listened to well Frank Johnson might have been a bit before that but all these bands had identities and things that made them who they were and you know all that stuff is worth study I reckon so I would like to see more scholars coming along and taking up the challenges of Australian jazz history I don't know if it's going to happen at the moment because music research has moved into sort of other foci and um, it's not necessarily what people are thinking of undertaking as they move into doctoral candidacy but I'm I'm there to defend it. It's a topic that needs a lot more work. Well, I think it is. I honestly think it is. My guest on Bent Notes is Melbourne pianist and composer Tim Stevens. You're listening to Joy 94.9. You are listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Find more podcasts and show blogs at joy.org.au. Isn't it a lovely day from Tim Stevens? It's Irving Berlin's composition from 1935 from the film Top Hat. Tim Stevens played it on the Pfeiffer piano from the Pug House Studios. Tim's lockdown daily musical treats were on social media for us throughout lockdown. There were, I think, over 200 of them. They were a joy to behold. And now we're getting the benefit of some of the outcome of Tim's playing of those Quarren tunes, which included some standards. You are listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9, where my guest is Melbourne pianist Tim Stevens. Tim, your brand new album is called The Ace of Hearts is High, an album of standards. Given the Tim Stevens interpretation, it's not just a straight standard, so to speak. 
What has been your reluctance to record or even play standards to date? Because it's been many years since you've done that, from my understanding. Well, when I was in the trio with Alan Brown and Nick Hayward, we had some standard material in our repertoire. We played jazz tunes and we played standard songs. And um, most of the stuff was written by me. But in our regular gigs, we always had standard tunes. And uh, there are a couple on the albums that we made also. Since then, I've simply felt the precedent of certain players has been too great to allow me to play standard tunes, particularly the work of Keith Jarrett, obviously, but also Bill Evans. And because those boys have such a strong attachment to the standard repertoire, I kind of felt like it had probably been taken care of. What happened during quarantunes then? Well, I just thought I'm going to play a piece each day. And I started with Danny Boy on St. Patrick's Day and <laughs> yes. the response was so beautiful. I thought, oh, I'll keep it going. What the hell? I'm here. And I played some originals and then I sort of thought, well, I've got not the standard repertoire. I know how they go. I know how to play them. I'll just throw a few of them in. So I did wind up doing exactly 200 quarantunes and I listed on my website what all the pieces were and how many standards there were and how many originals and stuff. And there was quite a number of standards that I'd just gone back and remembered or looked up or transcribed off recordings or whatever. And I just found I've, I've rediscovered my fondness for them. And now I've just turned 50, so I thought, well, now I've got my voice together. I'll give it a crack in the studio, you know, what the hell. And this is what's happened. Do you need to think about your music differently when you're playing standards? I don't think that I do. I, I mean, I know that these are pieces I haven't written. I know that these are pieces with many, many versions in some cases, like more versions than I'm ever going to know about. They've certainly been visited right across the... Yes, I mean the Piccolino is on this record, which is also from Top Hat, and hardly anybody's ever played that. I'm not sure it should even be called a standard, except that it's written by Evan Berlin. But mostly these pieces are very popular tunes among the jazz um, community, so they've all got long performance histories, and I have to take, I have to keep that in mind. But I am really still thinking of making my own sound with them if I possibly can. And that's important because you don't want to be just duplicating what someone else can do. Well, I really don't, yeah. and I don't want to be accused of that. And that's what you used to annoy me is that people would say oh you're so influenced by Jared and Evans because I'm a white bloke who likes a trio and that sort of stuff and I thought well you know I'm influenced by them of course I am how could I get away from their example it's just massive but I'm also influenced by Herbie Hancock and I'm also influenced by Art Tatum and I'm also influenced by Kenny Kirkland and there's lots of piano players out there who have influenced me whose examples I value but always being chucked in a bag with Evans and Jarrett was inclined to get on my nerves and that's one of the reasons I sort of thought I could let the standards go for a bit. The new album is called The Ace of Hearts is High. That sequence of words sounds a bit familiar. Where's it from? Oh, it's from one of the tunes on the record called Taking a Chance on Love. Aha. Uh-huh. The bridge says, I thought that cards were a frame-up I never would try, but now I'm taking that game up and the Ace of Hearts is high. Uh-huh. And because this record is dedicated to my brother and his fiancée because they're getting married at the end of the year, I thought that was an appropriate... <laughs> line to take as a title. <laughs> I think they'd have a bit of a smile about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Definitely. Yeah. Oh, they were thrilled, actually, when I told them about it. And um, and what a lovely, lovely gift for them. Well, I hope so, yeah. Yeah, a beautiful gift. Are they going to play it at the wedding? Uh, that I don't know. Mm. I haven't asked because it's not really down to me. I'm not in charge of that at all. <laughs> you, you may get an invitation to play one of the pieces. Oh, That'd be so, very nice. So, yeah. The cover image on the album is fantastic. It's an older style building with the sign Milk Bar sticking out of it. We don't have many milk bars these days. No, and there isn't one there either. Even when that sign stuck out of it, it wasn't a milk bar. It had been in the long distant past, but I just liked that sign. And I photographed it, and then about six months later, they took the sign down. <gasps> so it isn't even there anymore. <gasps> I don't know why they did this, and I thought it would have had enough local cultural significance to be left alone. Yeah, like the but, Skipping uh, Girl uh, logo. All that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, 
it just got removed. And so I was very pleased that I'd taken the photo after that happened because it's here forever and now it's on the cover of an album. So It is now. indeed. <laughs> is there a specific reference to the standards that are on the album by that image? Not at all, no. It's just an image you liked? It's just a photo that I took and that I like and it's near where we live. I suppose so. you could say it was a standard sign of you could years say that, ago. I suppose, yes, it was, it was, it was. <laughs> How did you select the pieces on the album? Oh, I just like them. Let me think. Some of them are really old ones. I play All the Things You Are, which is one of the first tunes I've had to learn. But I play it in two keys, which is something that I don't think anybody else has ever done. So I'm putting my own stamp on it that way. Let's see. My Funny Valentine was also one of the early tunes that I had to learn when I was at college. But others have come to me more recently. I'm Gonna Laugh You Out Out Of My Life, I think, is one of the most beautiful and heartbreaking songs that's ever been written. But it doesn't get played nearly often enough. So I've put that on. Oh Lady Be Good is just a beautiful tune. And I had some friends, some dear friends, who were listening to my quarantines as they went up, and they are total Gershwin nuts. So every time I put a Gershwin up, they were like, oh, Tim, you're so wonderful. I want Gershwin, I love So I had to put a Gershwin on this album for them. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just a, just a, a matter of pieces that I, I like and I, I enjoy to play, but also that I think went together well as a set because I'm always, I've probably said this to you before, but I'm always thinking about an album as a journey. You start here, you go through this, you wind up there. And this finishes with When You Wish Upon a Star, oh, yes. which I wasn't even going to play. But I realised at the end of the set, towards the end of the session, I didn't have anything in 3 or 4 on the album. But it's not written in 3 or 4. No, that's what they say. But I <laughs> have only ever played it as a waltz and it came as news to me. So there you go. It is a beautiful rendition of it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd read a little bit of blurb there about not having a waltz. And I thought, no, it's not in 3 or 4. No, no. Well, and it's when it's I got pointed out to me now. But I, when I got to hear it, I thought, that just comes up so <laughs> sparklingly well. Well, I thought I need a waltz. So I played Sunday My Prince Will Come. But I don't even like that song very much and I didn't like what I did with it. So I thought, let that go, let's do another one. So I played this and I liked the way this one turned out so I thought that's going to go last on the album. It is a beautiful album. I have listened to it a number of times. It accompanies me to and from work. Oh, excellent, excellent, thank you. And in sequence as well. Beautiful. From the start to the finish. Information about you, your albums and links to their appearance on Bandcamp are all on your website, timstevens.com.au as are a whole lot of blogs that you've written, mm-hmm. which are very, very interesting. Thank you. So I would certainly recommend everyone to go and check out timstevens.com.au. Let's conclude our discussion with another piece from the album, the Jerome Kern classic from 1939, All the Things Here we You go. Are. Excellent. Tim, it has been, again, a real pleasure to have you here in On Bent Notes, hearing about the new album, The Always Ace of Hearts is such a High. joy to join you. Thank you very much for having me. It is a relaxing and enjoyable album, Tim, and I look forward to many more hours listening to it and look forward to the next album that comes along. (laughs) It won't be this year, don't worry. (laughs) You're listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9 where our guest has been Melbourne pianist and composer Tim Stevens. You're listening to Joy 94.9. been listening to a podcast from bent notes join us live each sunday night on joy 94.9 this podcast was produced by joy media you can support joy's diverse sound and diverse community this june by donating to joy radiothon 2024 go to joy.org.au slash radiothon and remember we all flourish with joy joy